This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. Listening to the Dead TV podcast, podcast dedicated to all the canceled TV series and science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. And I'm your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And tonight, we're covering episodes 18 and 19 of the original Adams Family. And instead of doing the uh, focus of the episode at the beginning, it's going to be at the end because it's going to be tied into the later episode. So we're going to jump right into the two episodes at hand for this evening. Uh, quick note, I was at the grocery store the other day, and the monster cereal boxes have come out. Uh, Count Chocula, Frankenberry, or Booberry, and they all have an Adams Family tie into them. You can Honestly, you don't yep. need to buy the box of cereal. You can just take a picture of the box with your phone and go online and download to the website, <laughs> or just write it down. I mean, you're not stealing any. It's not like twisting the cap off a of Coke or whatever and stealing the code on the bottom of it. You just need to know the website name, and you can download stencils for the pumpkin, for jack-o'-lanterns for the Adams Family connected to the new upcoming animated movie. And they have all the members of the Adams Family plus the cereal box monsters. Yeah, I actually went out and got a box of the uh, Count Chocula, just because, you know, Count Chocula is awesome. And, you know, to legitimately get the code. I would have liked it, though, if they had, like, included them, like, like you know, some type of, like, funny wax paper or something, or maybe the box itself had, like, you know, it on it, but whatever. I mean, they don't put prizes in cereal boxes really that much anymore, and it's all, like, website-coded stuff or whatever, so... True. That's what it is, but anyway... I'd never thought about putting the monster cereal box characters on a pumpkin for a jack-o'-lantern, and I hadn't ever thought of the Adams Family, so I'm going to try and do it, and probably epically fail at it, because I am not an artist. So, <laughs> uh, we're going to go on with the episode, the first episode of this evening, episodes All right. Uh, 18. 18. 18. Episode 18, season 2. Fester Goes on a Diet, originally aired January 14, 1966. For his impending visit from pen pal Yvette of the Foley's Bergere, Uncle Fester is secretly trying to whip himself into shape, even recruiting guidance from fitness guru Jack LaLanne himself. With all the sudden dieting and exercise going on, Mortician Gomez knows something's up, but thinks that Fester's trying to join the space program. Now, the fitness instructor in this episode, but this was a real guy, right? Yes, yes. Jack LaLanne, he was super big at the time. Uh, he opened the first health club in America in 1936. Okay. He was like a famous, famous person. 
it, do, are you are you familiar with Jack Lalanne's uh, TV shows and his exercise equipment and his blender no. sponsorships? Oh my God! It, no. it, there was a lot. I mean, I've lot. I've heard of this guy and I probably saw him in his later years because he died in 2011. So I probably saw him at some point in something. He was an actor too, apparently, because he's in all this stuff or whatever, playing other uh, things. Oh, unless he well, was playing himself. Listen, maybe he was playing himself. Except for the time he played Gaylord Armstrong. I'm not going to comment on anything about that name whatsoever, yeah. so we're going to move on <laughs> so I don't get in trouble. But, uh, yeah, he played himself, I guess, in a lot of stuff. Yeah, because he was that famous. Oh, he was yes. in a year without a Santa Claus? He was Hercules? What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was known for his physique, his uh, rigorousness to a diet, like he hadn't had <laughs> sugar in decades. Um, it caused him a lot of trouble as, as a kid, so he just stopped eating sugar. And so he became like America's health guru. Oh, I didn't Seriously. know he was also part of the 63rd Academy Award, um, sorry, Emmy Award in Memoriam. That's interesting. They paid uh, tribute to him, probably because he was a television star as well. But yeah, he played himself most of the time. Yep. Did you ever see Repossessed? I did. He's in that. I didn't know he was in that. Oh, yeah. He, he pops up every now and then in different uh, media, pop culture things. Um, the name Jack LaLanne had held so much power that getting him on the Addams Family, that was probably just a big win. And maybe, I don't know what station his television show's on, but it could have been cross-promotion. Now, we've all tried to diet. I mean, you do probably try to diet after having the surrogate kids you had, and I'm yeah. trying to diet right now, and I, I don't know how much of a great job I'm doing sometimes, and sometimes I think I am, sometimes I think I'm not. I don't know. I, I, it's, it's so stressful to diet. Is Richard Simmons still alive? I think he is in seclusion. I wonder why. <laughs> I, I don't know. That is something that uh, we can look up real quick. <laughs> Apparently, this was this episode was spoofed in My Pet Monster, like the the, the toy that was made into a cartoon. Oh. Uh, this guy. Hold on. Go wild with My Pet Monster. The hot new toy from Amtoy is breaking loose on video cassette. From the creators of Strawberry Shortcake and the Care Bears, this wild and woolly character is on the run in a never-before-seen live-action adventure. And he's on the rampage for customers with a colorful mobile box display to support it. Yeah, so he was like a blue monster with, like, orange handcuffs that came out in 1987. Do you remember that? I do remember My Pet Monster, yeah. Okay, so I guess this was parodied in an episode of My Pet Monster, it says, according to IMDb. But I... I do not remember watching episodes of My Pet Monster. I'm sure they do not hold up well today. Um, I mean, as I get older, more and more episodes of G.I. Joe and Transformers don't hold up very well today. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and, and Richard Simmons is in seclusion since 2014, but uh, his publicist says he's okay and he's in good health. Oh, okay. Well, I guess he just... I mean, he's also probably very old, so... Yeah, he's 71. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, that's not horribly old, but... Yeah, anyway. you know, he's had a good career. It's If he wants to be in seclusion, let him. Every time I hear the name of Vet, by the way, which is the name of um, uh, the umpteen Fester's umpteen million pen pals. How many pen pals does he have? Well, he's only named about, like, three, I think. Okay. Peggy Mondo, who plays Yvette. I always think of another Yvette. Do you know what Yvette I'm talking about? From Clue? Yes, from Clue. <laughs> the reason I knew I was a straight man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. She's got that bounce in that dress. <laughs> well, 
Well, Fester believes that Yvette is actually um, a dancer of, for the Folies Brugère. You know, so she must be in, you know, have, have a certain look about her. Um, so when she finally does make her appearance, she's a larger woman. Yeah. She says that she actually takes care of the costuming, so she probably does a good job. She was a smart dresser in the in the show. I think too, uh, something that was that would probably I cannot believe this was a movie back then, but I guarantee this would never be made today. A movie called Fatso. Oh yeah, yeah. You've heard of this movie? I have. I have heard of it. it I have not seen it. Oh, excuse me. I have to correct myself when I just said that mo- that is a movie that would never be made today. This movie, by the way, starred Dom DeLuise. This was one of his big films. This movie was remade today in 2008. <laughs> and it's really? Kind of fat- yes, it was remade. It's a it's a fat kid on the. And let me tell you this: the poster for the original Fatso has Dom DeLuise holding a food with a bunch of. I, I don't know what's above him. I didn't really pay attention to the poster. But it was remade it's, it's in... A, it's his diet. Okay, his, it's diet. his diet. It was remade in Norway with a fat kid with four naked women straddling him. Ooh. And they are, like, sexy naked women. What is this movie about? I don't know. <laughs> but we need to move on. Otherwise, we're going to okay, end up okay. on this episode way too much on this one minor character who played a vet. So when she shows up, um, that that's interesting, but we'll we'll get there. So most of the episode is... Uh, Fester exercising and like Pugsley wanted to exercise and then uh, Fester wanted to exercise and the Adams family are against exercising because I guess they're all kind of skinny ghouls except for Fester and Pugsley I, I think it's more like they're enthusiastic about Zen Yogi versus other forms of exercise I just think they're because they're they're skinny ghouls I don't think they're ghouls I think they're ghouls are you kidding me the way they survive half the crap that happens to them they're more yeah. ghoulish okay they're more ghoulish in the movies Fester goes through this entire reign of different sports and, and things, you know, he kind of flits from activity to activity because it's tiring. And uh, when Lurch, he talks to Lurch about his exercise reg- regime, Morticia and Gomez try to question Lurch. Lurch says nothing. Now, in this episode, it, it's not expressly stated that Fester didn't want Lurch to say anything to anyone. It's not expressly stated, but Lurch just naturally doesn't say anything, and so Morticia and Gomez assume that he's wanting to, that he's ill, that he's ill. So they call the doctor. And uh, the doctor, let's see here, we've got, we've got a lot of people in this episode. Doctor is William Keene, and William Keene... Let's see, he was in Gunsmoke and Mayberry, RFD, Bonanza, the Andy Griffith show. If you had a piece of advice for somebody who wanted to lose weight like Fester, what would it be to lose, like, stomach weight? Oh, um, well, my first bit of information is to actually have your resting metabolic rate tested. What does that and mean? It means that you will get an exact calorie count for what your body does at rest for a 24-hour period of time. Uh-huh. The 2,000-calorie diet that is recommended is just kind of an arbitrary pull a number out of a hat type of thing. Okay. Uh, your resting metabolic rate will tell you exactly how many calories your body uses to stay alive. All the exercises done on top of that helps you burn more calories. But getting that number is crucial because, like, for me, my resting metabolic rate is super, super slow so I can only burn 1,400 calories in a day just being alive. If your metabolic rate is super high, like 2,400, 
then you're probably going to eat a lot and and be able to burn it off fairly quickly. Now, so, who measures that? Do you have to go to your doctor? Actually, uh, I do some uh, localized testing because or, or local searches to find the testing clinics that do it because it's not a blood thing. It's you sit in this pod and you breathe through a little tube, so it's measuring your exhalations okay, and your body fat. Okay, that just sounds expensive and something your insurance company is not going to pay for. Sometimes your insurance company will. It depends on your insurance policy. I, my insurance company will not pay for that. <laughs> okay, well, but I, I would say that would be the, the most effective thing that you can do because then you know exactly your calorie count. Aside from that, I would say to try to eat only when you're physically hungry and not when you're mentally hungry. So you're when actually, you're mentally hungry. So when you're actually feeling stomach pains because you yes. don't have food in there. Yes, and and and, spa- and time yourself. Don't try to wolf down your food all at once because it takes time for your brain to recognize that you're no longer hungry. Pace yourself with your meals. Eat only when your stomach is saying to eat, and ignore your mental and emotional cravings for food. Well, what if it's like dinner time and you don't it's, feel it's dinner, pain? The clock doesn't matter. Okay, the but clock what, doesn't matter. Whatever. But what I'm saying is, what if it's like, you know, it, you're in the evening. It's getting later. And you still haven't eaten yet because you're not hungry. You just go to bed without eating? I, yes. I was told that's a bad idea. No, yes. That is exactly the right thing to do. If what? your body is not hungry, then why eat? Also, that's, that's eat food also has not... also your body needs nutrients that certain foods can give you. Now, if you're eating nothing but junk food or whatever to snack on throughout the day whenever your body's hungry, that's bad. I just lost 60 pounds after a baby by just trying to mind what my body is telling me versus what time of day it is. My anecdotal result is if I pay attention to what my stomach is telling me to eat, to eat that, if it's in my mind or emotions trying to tell me to eat, don't do that. A fester is trying all sorts of different workout regimens. He's usually going to try and um, exercise with Jack at 6.15. Jack shows up to help him, which we already went over. And they think fester is sick, but then they find out that they think fester is an astronaut because they find Jack's book. Yeah, about uh, the astronaut training. And uh, Morticia puts Fester under hypnosis, and he has some sort of countdown fantasy, and so they say that he wants to be an astronaut. And so instead of talking to Fester, they just call up the astronaut program and tell them to not have Fester in their program. Seems a little over the top. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the astronaut program is not something you can just jump right into. No. They don't no. send fat people into space for reasons. <laughs> oh, also, Fester's electrical current wouldn't really mesh with the spaceship. Yeah. Fester is DC. Look at and all of the AC. Yeah, and look at all the people who've gone to space. They're not exactly. Um, uh, they're not exactly starring in a Richard Simmons video. I mean, they got to be like, because I mean, what what what? It, what it does take a lot of physical. Um, endurance to actually manage space travel. Right, 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 right. And I've spoken to an astronaut, and I asked him about, like, the physical stuff, whatever, and he wanted to be, and he said uh, uh, he was, he thought he was in decent shape when he joined NASA. He had no idea how not in shape he was. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I was, I was not underweight, I was overweight, I had a toned, okay body, but I was too skinny. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Because, I, I guess mm, because you do lose muscle mass right, when you go up in the space. Right. And if you lose fat or whatever, it's worse. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, so Fester would not make a good astronaut. But again, this is something that would come up later on as he 
you know, in the the Adams Family musical, he goes to the moon to marry the moon. There is a continuous space theme with him. Mm-hmm. Where's my note? But Actually, in 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 this entire episode, though, you know, he doesn't lose his pen pal. His pen pal actually liked him, but wanted him fatter. <laughs> and she just tells him, just keep writing her. I'm sure there was a fat joke in there somewhere that Morticia and Gomez were trying to make. I don't know. It just seems like they were a little bit taken aback by her appearance. I mean, she was more, um, you know, uh, Melissa McCarthy than Scarlett Johansson they were expecting. Well, they were assuming that she was a dancer. Right. I guess they didn't realize she was not the kind of dancer they were expecting. Well, that's all the notes I have for this episode. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to eat some Count Chocula cereal, and we'll be back with the next episode of The Addams Family here on the Dead TV Podcast. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure. Got to give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. <laughs> now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. <laughs> that kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. <laughs> cheers cast. A podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. And we're back with the next episode of The Adams Family here on the Dead TV Podcast. The Great Treasure Hunt originally aired January 21st, 1966. Discovering a treasure map in the sea chest of great-great-grandfather Pegleg Adams, the pirate, Gomez and Morticia decide to hire a boat to go look for it. Uh, this was kind of fun. They don't leave the house, though, which was the only disappointment. But it was still fun that I I did treasure map stuff when I was a kid. Uh, my mother, when she left my father, the first place they moved, we moved into was the first house I can remember my grandparents living in. It was on Main Street. We actually moved into their old house. I had such fond memories of this house when I was a little kid. And then I, had even, I have even more memories of it when I was like 10 or 11. And uh, there was, like, a lot... Apparently, my grandparents were, like, the last people to live there. The place had been left unrented for, like, a year or so. And it's in Webster, Massachusetts on Main Street. And there were, like, all this old stuff that my grandparents left there. Like, old posters downstairs in the attic on the walls. And, like, all these old cabinets with, like, weird stuff in there. Wow. Very cool to see this stuff when you're a few years older and your memory works a little bit more than when you're like five, six, seven, or whenever you're visiting your grandparents. Yeah, yeah. And my brother and I would like spend days after school like exploring the house. Because this was like a, by the way, this was an apartment, a, a duplex house in Webster that was three stories for one family to rent. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, top floor, bottom floor, and a basement. Nice. And apparently an attic, but we never went in the attic. That's where all the secrets was. Uh, no, the secrets were in the basement. There was a door that had a giant padlock on it that even my grandparents said they had never been in. 
Oh, now that that just begs to be broken into. Well, we're ten. I mean, if I was living there today, but I'm. But the place <laughs> has been also remodeled a lot, and we had to move because it was a giant flea infestation. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I had my own kind of you know treasure map. Treasure thing. hunting. Treasure hunting. Did you ever like find look for treasure in any kind of wet capacity that was either fictitious as a child or <laughs> real? <laughs> Okay. Well, yes. Uh, my mother uh, dated a guy who lived in Apple Valley and basically had what came to be, in essence, a junkyard in his backyard. Our form of treasure hunting was basically to search in the mountainous piles of junk that he just collected and left on his property. And uh, then we'd use those things to make little, you know, uh, play areas or... Uh, you know, you're faking driving a car. and I mean, this whole bunch of stuff we did. But yeah, that was that was the treasure hunting we did. This episode, however, is that the first part of the treasure hunt is finding the other half of the treasure map. And yeah. then the very end of the episode, they they complete the second half, which is actually finding the treasure. That's a trope of most of treasure hunting stuff, including uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He's going to find one part of the marking that his father rubbed, and then he finds the rest in the crypt uh, underneath the library. Yeah. Yeah, so um, part of the focus area that I'm going to talk about at the end of the episode here is that uh, the Munsters also had a pirate treasure finding episode. And so I'm going to compare the two of those because as sitcoms, there is differences between how the Adams do it and like how other sitcoms uh, do this particular trope. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the episode, don't don't leave the uh, podcast. There will be the focus episode, and then you can leave the podcast. So, um, they split up into teams to try and find. Uh, by the way, I love how the episode opens. Morticia and Gomez are in the attic while it's raining. I love the rain. Yes. I love walking on the beach in the rain. I'm sure yes. if I recommended it to my girlfriend, she would be okay with it. I've had some weird date ideas to her, and she has not declined them <laughs> yeah and the roof is leaking right and so gomez has this very close-up shot and they're in embrace and and gomez says for want of a shingle a lovely moment is lost and that in that almost shakespearean drama it's, it's fantastic i love the little things and then he plugged up the hole with his cigar <sighs> sorry go ahead just continue talking because i'm trying to get <laughs> something typed out and the keyboard's not cooperating Okay, so he plugs up the hole with his cigar. They find great-grandfather Pegleg's treasure map, and a little bit about the history of the Adams family, or at least how part of the Adams fortune came about, must have been from piracy, because great-grandfather Pegleg was wanted in 15 countries for piracy, and he only wore a leg for appearances. He actually had both of his legs. (coughs) Uh, But under all Adamses, the flag that they flew was the Jolly Roger, which means all Adamses have been pirates. So perhaps that's a little clue of where all this fortune came from. Uh, yeah, isn't that kind of weird? Um, I'm, my first exposure to pirates, as far as I can remember, is from uh, the the Disney movie, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, I thought you were going to say Goonies. Uh, I probably saw 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea before I ever watched the Goonies. Wow. Hey, by the way, have you ever seen an older picture of Linda H. Davis? 
I'm playing her interview tonight on the radio show. I just don't have a guest, and I yes. haven't played this stuff. Yeah, yeah, wow, she was really pretty back in her day. Yeah, I, I've seen her younger shots and her older shots. She's a beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. First half of this treasure hunt is to find the second half of the map. So the kids have, they search low, and Lurch searches high. Fester searches the playroom, the caves, and the wine cellars. Okay, that makes sense. Mama searches the art gallery, the discotheque, and the kitchen. We have yet to see a discotheque in this house. It's 1965 or 1966. Was disco a thing yet? I thought disco didn't come out until the 70s. Discotheque is uh, a word. So uh, that word was in existence far beyond the 70s. They just call, started calling that dance disco because they took place at discotheques. Oh. So... So a discotheque is basically like a, a dance hall or whatnot, and that with lights and music and all of that. Disco and sucks. <laughs> I would have loved to see the Adams discotheque. Uh, disco. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've tried to listen to disco just to be like, okay, listen, I listen to ICP's crap, so I'll try this, and I just could not do it. You could play different music at your own discotheque. Uh, it is your discotheque. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then Thing has to search between every wall because he's the only thing that could get to anywhere between the walls. Gotcha, gotcha. 1742. What happened in the year 1742 that would be of significance? I guess it was a good year for rum. <laughs> also, why did uh, rum have a triple X on it? Was it pornographic? I don't know. Uh, you know, I used to know a fun fact about the, the X's on on alcohol, but I don't remember it at the at the moment. So I'm tell sure us about 1742. <laughs> in seven, well, it was before 1776, so the country hasn't. We weren't even the United States of America yet. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Okay, so this is going by according to Wikipedia. I'm really trying to find something that was significant in 1742. Oh, well, you live in Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania Journal first appears in the United States. Francis Nash was born, but the Exact date is unknown. He was a famous military dude. Uh, I'm sure there's other famous people that were born in 1742 that went on to do something significant, but I'm just there is no one name jumping right out at me. Let's Honestly, it seriously looks like 1742 was kind of a dull year in, in in the history of the world because according to all these dates, there's nothing that like stands out as being a significant thing of history other than for their own individual little, you know, countries and stuff. And again, they don't have a lot for the United States because we weren't a country yet. I don't even think we, I mean, the war hadn't even started yet with Britain. Well, the rum from 1742 wasn't that much of an interest to me, but um, (laughs) Gomez makes this uh, funny accent when he tells Fester to basically be quiet. He says, you know, we'll have no mutinous talk, sir, unless you like to be flogged, keel-hauled, and thrown into iron. And then Fester just like thinks oh. for a moment and smiles, like you know something. I think I'd like that. Yeah, that just <laughs> sounds like a typical Saturday night for Mr. Zeneca. That's that's a fun time, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not the cue hauling, but definitely thrown in irons <laughs> and flogged. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you know whatever floats your boat, whatever you're into. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so they they try to charter a ship, and. Uh, the people that they're trying to charter from Captain Grimby's charter boat surface are basically robbers. They're going to rob them later. Yeah, 
sees all Gomez's loose cash and, you know, they want to grab on it, in on that. Not very, uh, not very good fishermen, or I should say, uh, servicemen, but, uh, they tried to open the safe. And earlier in the episode, we get this, uh, the map being placed in the vault, the safe, and then the safe being booby-trapped. The same thing happens later in the episode because that was kind of a foreshadowing of this. The two robbing sailors uh, are trying to crack the safe. Fester gives them the numbers but warns them that, uh, you know, they should, uh, not a good idea. And it blows up. It's booby-trapped. It blowed up in their faces, and the then they left. The best use of a booby-trap is in Who Framed Roger Rabbit when um, the weasel tries to stick his hand into Jessica's top, which is like, you would never get away with that today. I don't care if it's a cartoon or not, but you would never get away with a man sticking his hand uh, for a body cavity search or whatever, uh, or sorry, to search a woman or whatever, into the top of her dress. Yeah. Even in yeah. a cartoon today, they never would do that on Family Guy or Simpsons even. Uh, Robot Chicken, completely different because uh, <laughs> those are toys. Uh, but uh, And then he pulls out a um, – he, when he puts his hand, he's like, I will frisk this one. And then he pulls out a bear trap around his hand. Bear trap, yeah. <laughs> and, and he leads in, nice booby trap. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> – Jessica gives him a nod like, yeah. <laughs> It's like, how the hell do you fit a bear trap in between those giant breasts of hers? She's cartoon. Infinite pockets. Oh, my God. I'm laughing so hard. I'm choking to death. When the maps are together, and they finally figure out using the uh, Peg Leg Adams' code book, which was also in the safe, you know, way in the back of the safe, in this small dinky safe, and they decode the entire map and find out that the that the treasure is buried under the house. And so, you know, they dig it up. And then they find out it's all gold and chocolates. Yeah, that... Ew, gross. So, the guy's been down there since... seven. The, the, the gold's been down there since 1742? Apparently. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't even exist. It would be like powder. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would taste really nasty. I like the longshoremen that show up. The two guys, the the, 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 the crooks. The, yeah, the sailors. Yeah. The crooks. Um, immediately thought of uh, something from the Big Bang Theory where um, Sheldon, uh, Amy says something about Sheldon being afraid or doesn't like longshoremen, and she's like, "Where would I find a longshoreman?" And Sheldon's like, "Along the shore, duh." Like you know. <laughs> Uh, Captain Grimby and Mr. Brack, is that his name? Yes, Mr. Brack. Also, it just shows up very weirdly, like, um, Nestor Pavia... random. Yeah, Nestor Pavia, uh, is a Universal Horror Monsters actor. He was in The Mole People, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, he was Lucas in that. Um, uh, one of the main characters in that. Uh, he was on Bonanza... But, uh, yeah, his career goes all the way back to the Universal Monster era, going far. I mean, God, his IMDb. This guy worked. Like, his IMDb wow. is long. Uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, he was in that in 1939, which is, I don't think, the silent film era version. Um, for some reason, okay, it says Revenge of the Creature on IMDb, but the... The, the the thumbnail from Revenge of the Creature is of from Frankenstein. Huh. Yeah, that's a that's a flub if I've ever seen one. 
So anyway, he's got a pretty long career. Um, last thing he was in was They Saved Hitler's Brain, which is, oh, and he was also in one of my favorite stupid movies of all time, Jesse James Meets Frankenstein's Daughter. You ever seen this? I have not. It is. But I've heard it's pretty ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's it's like um, it's like uh, Billy the Kid versus Dracula. Now, the only thing that would have stopped uh, this guy's career is actually death, and that's kind of what happened, because he died September 9th, 1966. Oh, wow, a year after this episode. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Nazi madmen preserve Hitler's brain on a small tropical island until the time is right to resurrect him, along with him and the Third Reich. There is, in season two of Linda Carter's Wonder Woman, uh, Steve and Diana are crash-landed on an island. Uh, oh, sorry, they go to an island on purpose, and they discover that there is an entire Nazi regime on this island, and they got to stop it. And they find out not only is there an entire Nazi regime on this island, army, that they have cloned Adolf Hitler. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Wonder Woman's got her hands out for her, considering she actually fought the Nazis in season one of her television show. Um, but they use the title of this, They Saved Hitler's Brain, for a uh, famous Lex Luthor plotline in Superman. Lex Luthor had uh, found out he had gotten cancer from the kryptonite he carried around with him, and he had his body cloned and then killed himself, and then he had his brain put into the clone body, which is like 20 years, like 30 years younger, with a Brit- with a Australian accent and long flowing red hair, and like obviously chiseled physique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was Lex Luthor's plot line for a while. Jeez. And they called it, the name of the plot line is they saved, uh, they saved uh, Luthor's brain, which again was from this movie. Well, the other uh, sailor, sailor here is Richard Reeves, um, who also died not long after. Uh, he died in March 17th, 1967. I wonder, is he related to Chris, uh, jo- uh, George Reeves? Is it the same... Is it the same... <laughs> He was no. an actor known for Target Earth and Adventures of Superman. Well, he was on Adventures of Superman with George Reeves. I don't know if they were related. They spelled their name the same way. They spelled their name exactly the same way. Remember for years people thought George Reeves and Christopher Reeves were related? But yeah. people, nobody bothered to look at the spelling of the name. It's like, no, they're two completely different people. Um, but yeah, they this guy and George shared the same oh, it, name. It says no relation to George Reeves or Steve Reeves. Oh, uh, okay. All right, all right. This guy was also in a previous episode called Progress in the Addams Family. Yeah, and uh, he's also been in uh, The Munsters and uh, Laredo, Casino Royale, The Virginian, uh, Perry Mason, Mr. Ed, and Gunsmoke. So he d- he hit a lot of the top shows. Yeah, and he was also in the one-off episode of The Adventures of Superboy, which was supposed to be a pilot to launch a new t- Superman series, but it never got picked up past the pilot, and he was in the TV short for it. Huh. Yeah, it came out in 1961. I remember that because I've it's it's included on certain Superman uh, box sets TV shows. You get to watch it, uh, but they didn't like it, so it never went to uh, never went yeah. on. So anyway, and um, this uh, this episode is also one of the episodes that Roger Arroyo plays cousin It instead of Felix Sia. Yeah, that's quite an interesting little uh, cameo by cousin It. The way he comes out, I, I like that a lot. And that's all the notes we have for this episode. Don't forget, you can check us out on the Facebook page, the Dead TV Podcast, our Twitters, Christy and at Elegantly, Christy S-A-V, and at Elegantly Kinky. 
Don't forget, you can also send us an email at datradiohorror at gmail.com. Please leave us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or a comment on our website, RadioHorror.com. And you can also contribute to us on Patreon. Please contribute to us on Patreon at Dr. Chris's Radio Horror. Now we're going to leave you at the end of the episode with uh, Mistress Zeneca's information about treasure hunting uh, with the Adams Family compared to an episode of the Munsters that also did it as well. Thank you, everybody, and come back next week for the next episode of the Dead TV Podcast. Today I want to speak a little bit more about the episode we just saw and compare it to the Munsters for a similar plotline. So this is Adam's Family vs. the Munsters, Pirate Treasure. I've often said that the difference between the two shows was that the Munsters' conflict is conflict from within, whereas the Adam's Family is conflict from without, basically from outside sources. The Adams Family moves as one unit, and what conflict there is coming from inside is based around misunderstanding and is easily overcome. The Munsters uses a lot of personal insults. Every person in the family is at first an individual and second a Munster. The difference is no more starkly illustrated than if we compare two similar situations between the two shows, a pirate treasure plotline of the Adams Family, Season 2, Episode 19, The Great Treasure Hunt, originally aired January 21, 1966, and of the Munsters, Season 2, Episode 14, The Treasure of Mockingbird Heights, originally aired December 23, 1965. Both open on dark and stormy nights. Both episodes revolve around a pirate treasure located on the family's property. It's how the characters interact is the real difference. Allow me a moment to go into both episodes of depth. In the Adams episode, Mortician and Gomez find the map together, but it turns out to be half a map. In the Monsters episode, Herman and Grandpa find and solve pirate clues together. The Adams family informs and then invites all the members to search for the treasure map, whereas Herman and Grandpa actively prevent anyone else from joining into the search. In the Munsters, we get the idea that everyone is slightly suspicious of everyone else, and any suggestion of success is dismissed. First, Lily suggests that Herman and Grandpa are, quote, up to something, unquote. Later, Marilyn says delicately to Lily that there could be something to this buried treasure, and the suggestion is immediately dismissed. Quote, your Uncle Herman is just isn't the lucky type, unquote. In The Adams Family, you get the idea that Morticia and Gomez are in love, and she believes him to be the, a competent sailor by imagining him at the helm. Quote, Darling, with you at command, how could we go wrong? Unquote. The attitude about the treasure is, what does it matter as long as we have fun? After the monsters find the treasure, the internal conflict escalates. It becomes a battle between Herman and Grandpa with booby traps, insults, and behavior that even Eddie Munster comments on it as, quote, childish? Heck, man, I don't know any kid that acts that creepy, unquote. The conflict keeps increasing until Lily mediates a truce that even she didn't expect them to honor. Quote, I knew neither one of you could keep your word, she says after Herman and Grandpa get caught in her booby traps. Lily and Marilyn reveal... They gave the treasure to Charity to address the conflict and resolve the episode. After the Adams find the second half of the map as a family, that's when the external conflict steps in as they go to charter a boat and the sailors they contact meet with them and then the sailors attempt to rob the Adamses. This external conflict illustrates the family as being abnormal or eccentric in comparison to the typical family. The episode still uses booby traps and the booby trap that was set on the map wasn't done for an internal theft, but for outsiders. Fester even tries to warn the sailor robbers of the trap, but the trap explodes in their faces and the sailors run off. When Gomez, Morticia, and Fester figure out the actual location of the treasure, 
They celebrate their good fortunes together. Quickly thereafter, they find the treasure and its gold candy. While not actually being gold, but something edible, Morticia questions if they wasted their time. Fester says, quote, not at all, it's delicious, unquote. The Adams family gained what small value from the hundreds of year old food, and the monsters couldn't stop bickering to get any value from their treasure. The Adams enjoyed the experience and journey, even though a lot of trouble came from it. The monsters couldn't enjoy the experience because their personal opinions of each other got in the way. Aside from the different types of humor that each show has, slapstick versus Marx Brothers wordplay, I think that the ways that each family interacts and what drives conflict is what sets these shows apart from each other. The confidence and love in the Adams family is evident in each episode. In the Munsters, family discord is evident in every episode. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in the Adams family than be a Munster any day. Da 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 da. Join us next time for an episode of the Dead TV Podcast, here on the Radio 4 Network.